Hey everybody, Ben Nicholson-Smith here on At The Letters, and this week's podcast comes to you from Fenway Park, where Mike Wilner and I had the chance to talk Blue Jays during batting practice as the Blue Jays were getting ready for a game here during their four-game set in Boston. Mike and I sat down in the stands behind home plate at Fenway Park and talked Blue Jays as the team was taking batting practice. You'll hear some background noise around us, maybe some fans taking their seats, getting ready for the game. You'll hear the organ music in the background and Mike's commentary on some of the song selection uh, by the organist here at Fenway Park. It was a fun conversation with Mike, who always brings all kinds of knowledge about the Blue Jays. And we talked about Marcus Stroman, his trade value. We talked about Ken Giles, a rather bizarre and unexpected injury. What happens next with Giles and the Blue Jays? Then we looked ahead to the second half, some of those key variables that will determine whether the Blue Jays end 2019 on a high note or a low note on the field. So it's a fun conversation. Mike and I cover a lot of ground and I hope that you enjoy it. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Mike Wilner from Fenway Park. So Mike, here we are, Fenway Park, and the Blue Jays are taking batting practice as we speak. We are about to watch Jacob Waguspak make a start here against the very formidable Boston Red Sox lineup. But we want to go bigger picture here on At The Letters, brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger. And let's start with Marcus Stroman. Do you believe that he has made his final start as a Toronto Blue Jay? No. And I should say, I'm happy to be here with you, Ben. I can't wait to get my new 2019 Ford Ranger when we're done recording. I'm sure it's waiting just outside Fenway. I can't make promises on that (laughs) front, but you never know. They might surprise us. Since we're sitting in the seats, the box seats at Fenway Park behind home plate on the third base side, I have to say it's dry. It's lovely. I know that our colleague Jeff Blair has often referred to this place as a urine-soaked rat hole. And we are not seeing that right now. I could not disagree more with that Jeff Blair take. I mean, Fenway Park is awesome. I know you will find some broadcasters or writers who don't like this place. And partly that does have to do with the working conditions here. I love Fenway. I mean, Fenway is a great park to me in the upper tier of ballparks. Yeah, I like it too. And and just the, you know, the history and Babe Ruth stood in that batter's box and Ted Williams and all that stuff. The seat out there that someone is sitting in where Williams hit allegedly the longest home run of this ballpark, though Rowdy Tellez had a longer one that they're not counting uh, a few months ago. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm sure there's some areas that are soaked in urine and there are some rats, but this is a cool place. As for Stroman, I think he starts in Detroit on Friday. I don't see them pulling the trigger that soon. I really think it's in the Blue Jays' best interests to get as many suitors as possible, see if anybody else jumps up into a race, though I don't I don't think anyone's going to give up their finest meats and cheeses for a shot at a road wild card game. So I think you have to concentrate on division winners or division leaders or teams that are that believe that they're going to win their division. But I do think the closer you get, the more you'll get. And I honestly I can't wait to see what what sort of effect one true deadline has cuz for me that changes everything. Right. It really does. I mean, you're not going to see Let's say Zach Wheeler, who's now sidelined, he's probably not going to be traded. Whereas in the past, the Mets would have said, oh, you know, we can wait and see, try to slip him through waivers in August and see what happens. So what that means is the teams looking around at pitching options just don't have as many available. And I agree. I think Marcus Stroman is one of the best pitchers out there. You could make a case that he is the best starting pitcher out there. And so he will be in demand. And for that reason, like, I don't think 
that there's this sense of urgency that some people might point to where like you have to trade Marcus Stroman while his value is high. There's risk in not trading him because he might get hurt. But there's also a lot to be gained by waiting for those bidders to emerge, making sure that you're getting the most out of him when you do trade him. Yeah, I, I believe that more than I believe, well, if you trade him now, they get three extra starts, so they'll pay much more. But I think bidding wars are a real possibility, and I don't think there's enough starting pitching to go around for all the contenders who believe they need starting pitching. And I think that, that the longer you wait, the higher price you can exact closer to July 31st. I also believe in the inverse of what you said, Zach Wheeler, the Mets in a normal year would say, hey, let's see what we can get for him in August. And in a normal year, a contending team would say, hey, we don't have to pay that much now. Someone will slide through in August and we'll be able to get somebody. But now, and this is a reason I think Eric Sogard goes, now it's, this is our only chance to add unless somebody gets released. I think maybe eventually like an NBA style buyout market could emerge, but not this year. Right. And so if a team wants insurance, insurance at five positions you trade for Eric Sogar. When you look at the best teams in baseball they are so deep and so a guy like Eric Sogar or Freddie Galvis you don't need them to necessarily sustain the offensive performance that they've had so far but if they can help you fill out a bench maybe they're pinch hitting for you you're in extra innings and you've already you know taken your starting second baseman out of the game Sogard Galvis these guys can be so useful to a National League team I think in particular or to the right American League team so I do think that those guys will go as well yeah and also like let's say any team loses its second baseman for a month on August 12th can't go out and get somebody you got to get them before July 31st and Eric Sogard can cover you if you lose your second baseman your shortstop your third baseman your left fielder your right fielder for a couple of weeks at a reasonably, I think, sustainable offensive performance. I don't know that he's going to hit 300 this year. I don't know that he's going to wind up with an 830 OPS, but he might. And he's certainly not going to slide that far back, especially if you only throw him out there every day for a couple of weeks. So I really do think that there's a market there. And, you know, for Stroman, Giles might be a bit of a different story because we have to see him a few times. Teams are going to have to believe, A, that he's healthy, and two, that he's a different guy than he was when he lost the closer's job in the playoffs in 2017 with Houston. I think that's the biggest obstacle the Blue Jays have with him. But I also do think that, you know, this is the leader in K-rate in the major leagues. He has been unbelievable since he got here last August. I think there's going to be a healthy market for him, too. Yeah, I think there should be. And who knows if the Blue Jays can get to that peak value, but I think there will be value there. Before we move on to Giles, I do want to ask about Marcus Stroman a little bit more because this is such a significant piece for the Blue Jays and has been for such a long time. When you look at the potential return for the Blue Jays, where do you fall on what they should be looking for? I mean, there's a line of thinking out there that I would agree with to an extent that they need to get pitching back for Stroman. But I also think if there's a great outfielder at Class A that just has more upside, I have no problem with the Blue Jays going out and trying to acquire that guy. I wish I could remember who the Kansas City Royals traded years and years ago. They had a big piece that they were, I think it might have been Carlos Beltran, that they were looking to move. And they said, we need a catcher back, we need a third baseman back, and we need an outfielder back. They were offered Robinson Cano, and they said no. 
Instead, they got Mark Tian because he was a third baseman, right? You can paint yourself into such a corner and it can be such a big mistake by saying we need X and that's all we're going for. If you can get an A-level, and I mean ABC, not double A, triple A, but if you can get an A-level outfield prospect or a B-minus pitcher, I'm taking the outfielder. Exactly, and then you figure out the pitching. I mean, one pitcher, this is the thing with Nate Pearson, one pitcher is not going to solve the Blue Jays' problems. Even if they go out and they acquire, not that this would ever happen, but just because he's the first name that comes to my mind, Casey Mize. I mean, there's no way that having two starting pitchers is enough. You still need to have success stories developmentally. You still need to draft pitchers. You still need to trade for pitchers. So I just think it's such a huge undertaking that there's no way you can say, oh, we're going to get one pitcher for Stroman, one pitcher for Giles. We're good to go. This rebuild needs more than just a couple arms. Absolutely true. But And, and they do need to stockpile arms at some point, right? You're going to have to get them. But it doesn't mean that you're tunnel vision in your focus and that you're going to let somebody else go because you think no 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 he's not a pitcher we need a pitcher we'll take this pitcher who might wind up being something instead of taking a position player who has a much better chance of emerging as a a major league regular or a major league star or whatever it's so dangerous to think that way and you're right you need a lot of pitching they're going to need a lot of pitching eventually it'll come whether it comes through free agency, whether it comes through trades later, whether you you know you turn an outfielder into a pitcher later on, I, you'd love to see the Blue Jays. I mentioned this on the air the other day. Trade make a Jesus Montero for Michael Pineda sort of trade somewhere down the road. That's a possibility with the position player depth that they're building up in the minor leagues. But you can't say I have this asset. I'm not taking anything other than position x for him yeah i would agree completely where do you land on the question of extending marcus stroman so it's mostly a theoretical question i think because he's not going to be extended he's going to be traded but let's talk theoretically for a moment here do you think that it makes sense to extend stroman assuming that he would basically require full value whatever that looks like maybe that's Miles Mikolas money, which is 68 over four. Maybe it's Rick Porcello, which is 80 over four. Maybe it's Patrick Corbin, which is well over 100 million. So if you had to pay Stroman market value for, say, five years, is that something in theory that would intrigue you? Yeah. And, but for me, it's not a black or white issue. It depends on what they can get for him in trade. You know, if you're not going to hit a home run in the return, extend him. And obviously that's off the table, right? The way we we're hearing everything and the discussions that are going on, he's going to be traded, which I think may wind up being a mistake if they don't get the good value for him. But the Blue Jays are going to be good next year. They're going to be very good in a couple of years. And in three years, they're probably going to be looking for Marcus Stroman or a Marcus Stroman type. So if you're not going to get back a whole bunch of good stuff, And I don't necessarily mean like five players or three players. Even one guy can be a whole bunch of good stuff. Why not keep him? Why not extend him? He's young. He obviously wants to be here. We have seen him perform in the biggest spots in pennant races, down the stretch, in the playoffs. He's a guy you should want as a team. Clearly, they think they can do better by putting him out on the market. But if you're not going to... And, and I'm afraid that they've made up the decision 
to just trade him no matter what. They have to, and they have to do it before this deadline because the value will be different in the offseason. And if you trade him for two pennant races and not one, you can get more and all of that stuff. But my fear is you're going to be looking for him in three years. And if this is another Jay Happ trade, then that's a big, big problem. Oh, no question about that. Billy McKinney, home run aside in his first game back from AAA, Brandon Drury, that's not looking like a good return right now. So they do need to do better than that. I think that's pretty safe to say. I am intrigued by the idea. I think it's worth exploring with Strollman and his representatives. I don't think it's going to happen. I wonder to what extent they've already done that. I'm sure they know what ballpark Marcus wants to be in, and they've decided that they're not interested in being in that neighborhood. And I, I really do think that's the end of it as far as extension goes. So Ken Giles not far from us a couple hours ago through a bullpen and I was told by Pete Walker that that bullpen session went really well and that Ken Giles is good to go if needed today so that's a good thing for the Toronto Blue Jays but what a bizarre week right I mean he hasn't pitched since July 4th that's an absence of more than 10 days and one that was caused by a nerve irritation suffered during a massage of all things so what do you make of this? What do you make of what this means for his trade value? Because I think that's really a, a big question right now for the Blue Jays. It really is. But I think the playoff meltdowns have more to do with his trade value. And it's unfortunate because he has been just so wonderful since he's gotten here. One blown save in almost a full calendar year. And that was when he was really, really sick and could barely get out there. He's got the best strikeout rate in the major leagues. He has been a model citizen. You know, even to the point of spring training, of letting David Paulino have it when he was taking a drill off. And, and, you know, he's a good teammate. He seems to be a different guy than he was in Houston. But the fact that he lost the closer's job in the playoffs in 2017 and that the Astros were using, like, Brad Peacock to close out games and get 10-out saves, I think that's going to hang on Giles' value more than any health concerns uh, that he'll have right now. But... As we sit here and talk, it's July 16th. So the weird part is that there may not be that many safe opportunities. But they are going to Detroit, and they're playing Kansas City, and that's right into the deadline. So I think ideally, again, for the Blue Jays, you get Giles out there five or six times over the final two weeks. If he continues to dominate, you can still sell him as, look, this is the best reliever available, period. Let's make a deal. Yeah, and I think on performance, you can make that case. Really, the question marks as you said would be playoff performance and then also the injury i was talking on the radio the other day with rash Madani, and he asked a question that I'll, i'm gonna ask you now which is how far how many cents on the dollar do you think giles's value has fallen it's because of the injury you know he was on the injured list earlier this season pitched three in a row looked a little vulnerable that third time is he now at 90 cents on the dollar is it 75 where would you put it I think it depends on what we see over the next week and a half, two weeks. I really do. I think if if they traded him on June 1st, if there was a team that was willing to make that deal, I think you would have gotten a lot more before any of the injuries, the one elbow thing, and now this nerve massage irritation deal, whatever. And you would have thought maybe they learned that lesson with Josh Donaldson last year. But it's difficult to make a move that early when you're not sure that you might not get more later. I, I get that. I think they got Giles for pennies on the dollar. And I think that whether now it's like 70% of his value or 80%, 
again, I go back to the whole playoff performance thing, and that's not going to go away. That change in value isn't going to move. But I think if he comes back and performs well over the next week and a half, two weeks, you'll get as much for him as you can possibly get. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. At this point, you know, when you look around the league, do you see teams that are particularly well-suited or particularly in need? I mean, this is a subject that's been written about a lot, obviously. But do you see any particular fit, or is it just a question of, you know, Stroman and Giles would make any contender better, which I think is pretty clear. These guys are very good major league pitchers. Yeah, they are. I, I, I happen to think that they're the best starter and best reliever available on the market. I mean, Matt Boyd's got more control. Madison Bumgarner's got more playoff pedigree. Trevor Bauer's being dangled, but they're a half game out of the playoffs. It's hard for me to imagine that that's going to happen. Everyone could use both of them. Right? There's no team that says, we've got four starters who are better than Marcus Stroman. There's no team, we've got three relievers who are better than Ken Giles. So I think every team can use them. I wonder if they get more by splitting them up or more by putting them together in a package. But, I mean, look where we are, right? We're sitting here at Fenway Park. Rick Porcello has been terrible for his last four or five starts. Their bullpen is a dumpster fire. I don't know that Boston has the minor league depth to be able to make a deal for the two of them. But I think that the Boston Red Sox, almost more than any other team, could use both these guys. A hundred percent. I mean, they're about to bring Nathan Ovaldi in to be their closer. They brought in Andrew Kashner to help a rotation that certainly needs it. So they could use it. it. You know, you mentioned the prospect depth. I wonder if this is a chance for the Jays to get creative. I mean, this is a team that has not committed a lot as far as its finances. I would think that if you're the Blue Jays, why not take on someone else's bad contract that they're trying to get out from under? Maybe a team facing luxury tax uh, threshold and, and trying to shed a little bit of money will take that on and get better prospects. This is what you can do in a rebuild. And look, they did that two years ago when they weren't rebuilding, when they, they got Francisco Liriano and they got him for the contract and got Pittsburgh to throw in two prospects. Right. Now, Harold Ramirez is doing fine in Miami now, unfortunately, and Reese McGuire is still in AAA, but they bought prospects by taking on a bad contract. And that was while they were contending this is an opportunity when they're not and when like Lourdes Gurriel is the only guy they have under contract for next year there's zero money committed they'll still have to pay a little bit of Troy Tulowitzki but Martin and Morales are off the books they can absolutely say give us a terrible contract and we'll make a deal I don't know if that'll work with Boston although you're right they're up against the luxury tax you can take Rusni Castillo off their hands sure. or something like that sure but yeah, you could do that with any team. I mean, they could even take like $40 million in value in order to get the prospect that they want. Do it. I think that's definitely a way to add to your prospect depth, which is really the ultimate goal right now, is you need to bolster this farm system, make it as strong as you can. So Mike, you said a couple minutes ago something that caught my attention, and I want to ask you about it. I want to follow up. Might have slipped past uh, some of our listeners, but I'm sure some of them caught it. Might have slipped past me, too. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you've been saying it and I missed it. But you said the Blue Jays are going to be good next year. Yeah, and, I think they're going to be good next and year. And as we record this, they are 35 and 60, yep. which, not good. Not good. <laughs> so what's going to change? What's going to change between now and 2020 to make this team good? I really like the way they've been playing since the middle of June. And I like the Kevin Biggio is here and... Guys seem to be following his lead, which is crazy for a 24-year-old in his second month in the major leagues. As far as plate discipline, I think, you know, Bo Bichette's going to be here within a couple of weeks. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to emerge and be great. I really think that this is going to be an offense to be reckoned with next year. And I don't see why the Blue Jays wouldn't add 
short-term pitching next year. I don't think they're going to contend next year, right. but I do think they've got a shot at 80 wins. And, and maybe when I say good, I, I should have said entertaining yeah. next year and fun. But I think they've got a chance to turn some heads as soon as next year. Bichette, Biggio, Guriel, Guerrero, and Jansen. Those are five strong hitters right there. First baseman and DHs are falling off of trucks all the time. You can pick up one in the offseason if you want to help. The only question is, is going to be what the front office wants to do in the offseason. Do they want to augment the present or do they want to continue to not be good, let everybody sort of percolate for another year in the major leagues? And I would hope they're not going to do that. You know, they took chances this year on short-term pitching, and I honestly do believe they traded for Matt Shoemaker and Clay Buckholtz. They signed Clay Buckholtz thinking that those two would have enough value that they'd be in the same conversations that we're having right now at the trade deadline. And I think they're going to do that again. And I do think that um, that the worst is behind us. I think May 2019 is going to be the absolute bottom point of this whole rebuild process. I agree with you. I, I think that that was such a rough month and you know you watched every one of those games i watched most of them and probably the people listening the diehard fans who are listening to a baseball podcast in the midst of a rebuilding season probably watched it as well it was rough we saw ryan firaben a lefty knuckleballer we saw edwin jackson in the rotation i mean that's not good i don't think we're going to see that again and i would agree if you the way you rephrased it there a little bit saying entertaining fun maybe good i totally agree i think that that's where this team is headed and I don't think, tell me what you think about this, but I don't think that we're going to see them be quite as experimental with Socrates Brito, with Alan Hansen, you know, with guys that are unproven and just giving them a long leash to see what they can do next year. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that there were lessons learned there. And I do think there have been a few sort of face-saving-y moves from this um, front office that, you know, they gave Brito a chance and they maybe the leash was a little long on him because of all the great things they said about him when they signed him. And, you know, to his credit, he's gone down to Buffalo and been his triple A self, right, which we haven't seen uh, in the major leagues. By the way, I have to say, we just listened to And She Was by Talking Heads on the organ. Josh Cantor is unbelievable here at Fenway Park. And you follow him on Twitter at JT Cantor with a K. Uh, and I go back and forth with him all the time. And whenever we're here in Boston, I shoot him an obscure Canadian song that I tell him I want him to play on the organ. Last night, it was Ingrid and the Footman by Jane Sibbery. Cool. And he played it. So that's an amazing thing. Uh, back to the Blue Jays. Yeah, look, Alan Hansen, hey, we got him for Kevin Pillar, so we've got to use him for a month. I don't think we're going to see that anymore, right? And I don't think we have to because now when you're looking at the next wave that's coming up, you're looking at Anthony Alford, you're looking at Bo Bichette, you're looking at guys who are prospects as opposed to we need somebody to play while these guys continue to get ready, right? Hanson was here because they felt like Kevin Biggio needed a month yep. in Which AAA. Is Absolutely. Yeah. But we're not going to see that. Those guys are not going to be around anymore. Yeah. No, that's a big difference. Now, even if the Blue Jays go out, and let's assume they're active in a search for pitching because they're going to need more arms. Let's assume you have Shoemaker next year, Barucki, Thornton, and then after that, you're really piecing things together. Um, and even Thornton and Barucki at this point aren't necessarily sure things, nor is Shoemaker. So they're going to need pitching. There's no question about that. 
How much of that do you think comes internally? And how much of that do you think we see in the course of the next two and a half months in the majors? Internal guys coming up in the next yeah, year? Patrick Murphy, I think, Nate I think TJ Zoik and Julia Merriweather are going to get starts in the big leagues this year. Yeah. And, you know, maybe even as soon as August. Yeah. I think we'll see them. I don't think we'll see Nate Pearson this year. I agree. Um, I don't think we'll see Patrick Murphy this year. Really? No, because he had could. to do that whole rebuild delivery toe tappy thing right right so now he's just starting to hit his stride again we might he's on the 40 right yep so he he might i'm more sure about zoik and merriweather but i think that next year by the way me and julio down by the schoolyard i, I mean this guy's great anyway <laughs> um i think next year we're gonna see murphy pearson zoik merriweather be what biggio bichette and guriel were this year guys who you need some cover for. You're not sure you're going to have them up that early in the season. You don't quite know when, and you don't know if they're going to be up, or you don't know when they're going to be up, they're going to be up to stay. So I think the Shoemakers version 2.0 of the world will come in externally over the offseason just to provide cover for those guys, but I think they'll eventually move their way in, and by the end of the year, the Blue Jays will know out of Thornton, Barucky, Zoik, Merriweather, Pearson, I think they're pretty sure about. Yep. And Murphy and maybe a Zach Jackson, maybe a Logue, maybe um, a Joey Murray. We'll get some looks towards the end of the season, and they'll have a better idea of who might be a piece. Now, I just listed, what, eight names. Yep. You might get two big league starters in a, in a contending rotation out of that. Oh, I mean, that would be great. Yeah. Honestly, if they got two of eight, that would be a huge success, which is crazy. I mean, that's just Major League Baseball and trying to develop pitching. Even Pearson, I mean... I agree with you. We're not going to see him this year. He's not on the 40-man. They don't have to add him yet. They probably don't want to mess with the service time and get that clock started. And he only threw 29 innings last year, right? So, so for even for developmental reasons, you know, you can make a case. He doesn't need to go full bore into September. But he is, of that group, seemingly the one with the best chance to be a guy who is a number one in the regular season, a number one in the postseason, and then that guy who comes in in game five of a division series, game seven of an ALCS, and pitches two innings, you know, in the eighth and ninth and just goes into beast mode. I mean, yep. that's what they need him to be, right? Yeah, and that's what he. everybody seems to think he's going to wind up being. Now, there's an old, well, relatively recently old saying that there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, and these guys do break down, and a lot of them don't make it and for whatever reason or another. And you can look back at, Baseball America's top 10 prospects from 10 years ago for every team, and you'll see seven guys who wound up being nothing, and you know three who never even got to the major leagues on every team, if not more. So it's uh, there's a danger in getting your hopes up too much. But the position that this organization is in, last week they had the guy who stole the show at the All-Star Game and who stole the show at the Futures right. Game, right? And that's where you want to be. Yeah, without a doubt. So I, I know you have a game to call. Your actual uh, job is, is coming up. But I do want to... This is more fun. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> definitely is fun. It's kind of fun to be down here in the stands, which are filling up around us here as, as fans arrive at Fenway Park to watch Jays and Red Sox. But I, I want to get your opinion as the second half gets underway. We're less than a week into the unofficial second half of the season here. What do you think would make up a success for the Blue Jays here in the next two months? I mean, what do you... Obviously, Bichette's on our radar. Vladdy's on our radar. What else are you going to be looking for as the second half plays out? Well, 
I mean, to put it bluntly, no matter what happens, it's not going to be a success on the field, right? I hope they don't lose 100 games. I would just love that to not be a part of the narrative of this season. It would be great for that to happen. There's a lot of Yankees and Rays on the schedule coming up, so I don't know that they're not going to lose 100 games. But as we sit right now, they need to go 28 and 39 the rest of the way quick math to be 63 and 99 on the season it's possible that that happens i mean they should now be much better than baltimore much better than detroit much better than kansas city they're playing all those teams and if they can just lose series to the great teams two out of three then they'll be okay like i said i think the unwatchable days are over but if they trade stroman they're going to be hemorrhaging pitching still unless they get a big leaguer back which is doubtful. So as far as on the field goes, just don't lose 100 games. But no matter what, on the field, still not a success. Win-loss-wise, what I'll be looking for is what's Lourdes Gurriel Jr. going to be in the second half? Is he going to be the MVP that he was from May 15th on? Or is he going to be the solid hitter that he was last year or somewhere in between? Is this power sticking around? Does he hit 30 homers? or not does Vladimir Guerrero turn into Vladimir Guerrero at some point this season we saw that run three weeks or a month whatever it was between San Francisco and Houston where he hit over 300 the OPS was over 950 and then he got hit in the hand by that 96 mile an hour fastball and he hasn't been the same since Uh, I want to see what Bo Bichette is like can he play shortstop in the major leagues I'd love to see that and I want to see if there's something in Teoscar Hernandez because right now I'm not sure whether there is or not. He's an okay center fielder. He's a better center fielder than he was a corner outfielder. Oddly was, enough, yeah. yeah. And he was not a good corner outfielder. He's an okay center fielder. He's not great, but the bat has to come around. This guy can't stick around the Mendoza line all season while only hitting six or seven home runs, right? He's got to hit for power. What's Billy McKinney? Is he something? You know, this is a developmental year and questions are supposed to be answered. I'm happy with the answer that I've got on Danny Jansen and with the answer that I've got on Kevin Biggio. I'm not happy with the answers I've gotten from Rowdy Telez and Teoscar Hernandez and Billy McKinney and Brandon Drury. We all thought Brandon Drury was actually going to be something this year. Oh, man. And, and, you know, it's been another lost season for him. So He looks off balance at the plate. He looks a lot of things, yeah. you know, and, and none of them are good. No. And last year we heard about vision issues, but they said they corrected the vision issues. He is coming off a broken hand, which can take a couple of years. Look, Edwin Encarnacion took two years to come back from a broken hand. Lyle Overbay lost two years because of a broken hand, even though he was on the field. Brandon Drury was actually a good hitter for two years with Arizona. So at 23, right? 22 and 23 in the major leagues. So it's in there. I mean, I think everybody has sort of written him off, and I can't say that I haven't either at this point in time. But those are the things I want to see from the offensive side. Jordan Romano's on the injured list right now in AAA. I want him back, and I want him closing after Ken Giles is gone. Oh, nice. Um, I like that call. Yeah, and I think that's, that's something that will help a great deal. And those are the blocks on which to build. And I'd love to see how Trent Thornton rebounds from what's been an awful little pocket of baseball for him. I mean, he threw six shutout innings 
against Baltimore the day before the All-Star break. And if you include that start in his last four starts, his ERA is like 13. Yeah. So yeah. he's been that bad. And I want to see how he comes out of this, too, because he's a guy who's a chance to be in the bottom of their rotation when they're good. 100%. He does. Yeah. You could see him as a number five. So the Jays have started coming off the field after their round of batting practice. We will soon return to our respective uh, temporary offices here at Fenway Park. But this is at the letters. And I do want to get an over-under from you because that is one of our traditions. So I'm going to throw one at you here. Vlad Jr., from this point on as we record this, OPS. And I'm going to set the over-under at 840. Over. There we go. Easy, without even thinking about I it. I like that call. Yeah. I, like, I, I would take the over, too. I am notorious, perhaps, for taking the over on Vlad Jr. over-unders and the under on everything else. <laughs> um, but I would take I the over I thought you were going to say that. 900. Wow. Would you take the I over? I might have gone over on wow. that, too. I wouldn't yeah. have done it as quickly. Right. But yeah, like this guy is an elite, elite, elite hitter. He is. And I still think the hand's bothering him. It's been a, a, a month, not quite a month since he got hit. And if you look at like Chris Black, our colleague at Sportsnet, sent out a chart about his average exit velocity. Uh, and it's gone straight down since he got hit in the hand. So I think once that starts to feel right, we'll see him do that. And again, I look back to... San Francisco to Houston, and I wish I had the dates and the numbers in front of me, but from the day the Blue Jays got to San Francisco until the day he got hit on the hand by Garrett Cole, he was performing at an MVP level as a 20-year-old in his second month in Major League Baseball. It's insane. Yeah, Vlad Jr. is insane. I'm expecting big things. Mike, the stands are filling up around us right now. If we're in people's seats. First pitch is approaching. We don't want to be in someone's seats, so we will call this a wrap for At The Letters, but thanks for joining me. This is a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Head out in your Ford Ranger to your next off-road adventure using the popular crowdsourced Waze navigation app, accessible through available Sync3 app link. That is it for this week on At The Letters. I want to thank Mike Wilner for joining me from Fenway Park and taking the time to talk some more Blue Jays, something Mike probably does more of than just about anybody, but it's great to have his insight on the podcast as always. Next week, Arden Welling will be back on At The Letters. And even before then, you can follow Arden's work from Detroit because he's going to be covering the Blue Jays and Tigers this weekend when they play over the weekend in Detroit. Marcus Stroman will start, maybe Ryan Barucki in that Sunday finale. So lots to look for there. And Shai Davidi will be in Cooperstown this weekend. So look for his coverage as Roy Halladay gets inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. One of the best Blue Jays of all time and passed away too soon. So look for Shai's coverage on Roy Halladay's induction at sportsnet.ca. That's it for us on At The Letters this week. Thanks to Mike Wilner. Thanks to Amal Delich for producing. We'll talk to you next week.